Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Brussels Sprouts. I'm Jim Townsend, and I'm excited to have Mikael Rungo Olison join me as co-host today for a joint episode between CNAS and the Danish Institute for International Studies, or DIES. Thanks for joining me as a co-host, Mikael. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Well, it is really a wonderful opportunity uh, for um, for for our for both us here at CNAS and for all of our Brussels Sprouts listeners to be able to talk to uh, to Mikael and our special guest, who I'm going to introduce in a minute as well. Um, Dees uh, is the director is Christian Fisher, who is a good colleague of mine for many years standing when he was in the Danish Ministry of Defense. And Dees is one of the most notable uh, think tanks and research organizations in the Nordic Baltic area uh, that, that examines the Arctic. And uh, as many of our Brussels sprouts listeners know, uh, CNAS has just put out a publication called um, Navigating Relations with Russia in the Arctic, a Roadmap for Stability. And that came out last week to great fanfare, I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm very interested in hearing what uh, our colleagues at Dees have to say about that because certainly uh, the history of Denmark uh, and Danish policy for many years has had this Arctic focus uh, because of their relationship with Greenland and, and many other reasons uh, why uh, the Danes and Dees particularly uh, know something about the Arctic. And so what I wanna do is to introduce Fleming Spleedsbol Hansen, who is also a senior researcher at Dees along with Mikkel uh, and, uh, and the three of us are going to uh, talk uh, about the Arctic and where, where we are on what's happening up there with the Russians and with uh, uh, the Chinese and others. Uh, the, the Arctic is certainly in a different place now after uh, climate change. Uh, we've got uh, uh, worries about a militarization up there. Uh, the U.S. is up there as well. And, uh, and I think uh, having a... a uh, perspective provided by Dees is going to be important for us at CNAS to hear as well as all of our, our Brussels Sprouts listeners. So, so again, thank, thank you both for being part of this. And let me just ask Mikkel, uh, I've done all the talking and I'm going to kick the ball over to you. Uh, and why don't you get us started? And why don't you tell us a bit about what your research has been uh, up in the Arctic and uh, what the Danish policy is beginning to look like dealing with the Arctic? Uh, what's the view from Copenhagen? Well, thank you, Jim. Um, actually, quite a lot is happening uh, these days uh, in, in, in Denmark's view on the Arctic, or the Kingdom of Denmark's view on the Arctic. Uh, and when I say Kingdom of Denmark, that's uh, Denmark, Greenland, and the Faroe Islands. Um, and, uh, well, uh, it used to be not so long ago that that uh, uh, the view in Copenhagen was that the Arctic was, was uh, mostly this a region of, of uh, low tension uh, where the countries in the Arctic may, they, they may, might have had pro problems and troubles with each other elsewhere in the globe, but in the Arctic, they could come together and cooperate. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now, Jim, is that we, we're seeing uh, this state of affairs beginning to change and it has been changing for the last couple of years. Started in 2014 with the Ukraine crisis spilling over to the Arctic, uh, but now uh, has intensified within the last couple of years, um, driven by increased Russian activity in the Arctic, uh, Chinese activity in the Arctic, and then of course uh, a, a U.S. view on the Arctic also that's beginning to 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 play 
pay closer attention to what the Russians and the Chinese are doing. Um, and to sort of start us out, I would say, if we sort of take a look at, at Russian activity in the Arctic and Chinese activity in the Arctic, I think it's important to note, I mean, if we, we take a look at the US side, we can see that that in, in, in your uh, uh, strategy from 19, uh, from the Pentagon, uh, Russia and China are almost equal. Uh, that is not the case in Denmark. In Denmark, uh, uh, we would look to Russia uh, at, at what Russia is doing first. And for that reason, um, I would like to start out with, with, with just throwing out a general question uh, to the both of you uh, on, on uh, regarding what Russia is really doing in the Arctic. Uh, are they, do you see them as revisionist or status quo uh, in the region uh, and why and why not? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Fleming, why don't you start first and then I'll throw some comments in as well. Yeah, great, thanks, I'd love to. Uh, well, what does Russia want in the Arctic? Is it revisionist? Is it a status quo power? It's probably a status quo power uh, before being revisionist. Uh, now, Russia holds currently the uh, chairmanship of the Arctic Council, and we see comments from the Russian side that the Arctic Council, sort of the Arctic format, should be limited to the Arctic states. Other states are welcome, but we should remember that the Arctic really is about the Arctic states, and Russia, in its own perception, is the most Arctic of all Arctic states. Uh, it really is a really important um, region, sort of for for the self identification in, in in Russia. So Russia is more a a status quo power than it is a revisionist power. Having said that, of course, it also uses the Arctic in a way to try to influence affairs on a global scale, including some of the issues that it doesn't really like. So we see, as you mentioned already, uh, an increase in military activities in the Russian part of the Arctic. Some of it definitely would be for defensive purposes, uh, for instance, to maintain a kind of, of nuclear strike capability, which is located in the Arctic. But another part could be related to attempts to, to change an international agenda to try to influence affairs elsewhere, including outside of the Arctic region. So I would say more uh, status quo than revisionist, but there is a, a revisionist part also to what it does in the Arctic because the Arctic has taken on a global dimension. Well, that's very helpful. I, uh, I, I've, I've wrestled with this myself in terms of Russian militarization. You know, how do you classify this? Is this something that any nation would have done in terms of dealing with the Northern Sea route that's opened up, uh, being fearful that, um, um, that uh, they would not be able to maintain control of that route? So wanting to put in facilities that have been long shut since the end of the Cold War. Uh, but going back to those old sites, reopening them, putting in modern radar, uh, this type of thing. So are they doing something that any, anyone would have done uh, and we're misreading it? Or are they, you know, maybe more on the revisionist side? Are we actually seeing uh, Russian actions starting off that way, but, but becoming more and more um, seen as a foundation for something that might be more aggressive? Uh, and, and you have to throw into that calculation, are they doing these things in response to what the, the U.S. or Western rhetoric has been, has been including you know, NATO 
uh, putting the Arctic uh, into the strategic concept and this type of thing. So the Russians are responding to outside events rather than generating this internally that they want to kind of create something more up in the Arctic. It's been a, uh, you know, there's there's been quite a, uh, you know, it, this analysis and debate on that. Uh, what are we really seeing here? So um, can we explore that a little bit, uh, Miguel, you know, as based on what Fleming said, uh, did, did that get to your question or, or what's, what's your take or Deese's take on what the Russians are really doing up there? Yes, I, I, I think it did. I think it did. I think one thing that you could perhaps also add to the discussion besides what you already said, Jim, is, is uh, the question of Russian nuclear armed submarines and uh, the degree to which uh, increased uh, Russian militarization of the Arctic could also have uh, the defensive purpose of, of safeguarding their strategic deterrence, so to speak. Um, and uh, also, if, if, if we take a look at, at uh, the Russian defense plans uh, surrounding the, the so-called bastion defense, right. uh, and of course, there are also uh, many elements there that could be seen as defensive, right? But, but then again, if you look at a map, uh, I recently or a couple of years ago, I, I, I was in Helsinki and, and, and Oslo and talked to some uh, Nordic colleagues about this, and uh, they were uh, quite upset about the fact that that uh, Russia presumes control of, of uh, northern Norway and a part of Finland uh, as part of their bastion defense in, 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 uh, in the event of, of confrontation with NATO. So, of course, that sort of uh, throws it a bit up in the air there, uh, the degree of defensive or offensive, right? Uh, but, but I very much agree that it's likely elements of both uh, and the tricky situation here is, of course, that it's very, very hard to get into the heads of of, uh, of uh, the leaders in Kremlin and and, and figure out uh, uh, exactly when they're defensively motivated, reacting to NATO, and exactly when they might have uh, other objectives at play. Well, you know, when you go to Oslo uh, and you talk to Norwegians, and I, when I was in the Pentagon, I did that for many years you really do get a picture of great concern up there. And the Norwegians have taken action themselves in terms of equipment and things to monitor what the Russians are doing. And I, I think I've heard certainly over the past couple of weeks, but it's, but it's not just been limited to the past couple of weeks, but over the past few years, that there seems to be Russian interest and pressure on Svalbard as well. Um, and uh, for many of our listeners, I think you all are familiar with the very special category Svalbard is in terms of uh, its, its uh, geographic location as an island there in the Norwegian Sea and its relationship with Russia, but the international community too. Uh, Russia has a facility on Svalbard, research facility. And, uh, and uh, I was wondering, uh, so I don't forget, I wanted to ask both of you, um, what's the latest you've heard on Svalbard? And do you think this is part of the, a, a Russian, a new Russian contact up in the Arctic where they're continuing to put pressure on Norway or uh, or the West uh, to include Svalbard, or is that just a local thing that really is a, you know, something that is not part of a larger concern about the militarization in, in the Arctic? Fleming, what do you think about that? Well, thanks. I, I think it could be both, and I, I'm, I'm sure we need to be reminded that Norway and and Russia, of course, have local issues. I mean, they have local cooperation, they have local dialogue, but they also have local challenges and they have local conflicts. And so I think part of it may simply be localized. It's it's a kind of it's it's a local issue uh, that just happens to to play out between Russia on one side and Norway and NATO member state on the other side. 
Having said that, of course, Svalbard uh, is interesting, and it pops up, for instance, in in scenarios about uh, sort of future conflict between Russia and NATO. It pops up in war gaming, and we should be careful, of course, with this because the more we we sort of prepare scenarios, the more we we do war games about it, the more likely we we, we tend to think that this is. Right. But it pops up, for instance, in war gaming where it's seen as an opportunity for Russia politically to assert itself very quickly, sort of to land troops in Svalbard, take decisive action to protect Russian interests, and then leave again. And and by the time Russian special operation forces have left, NATO perhaps has still not really managed to put together a meeting. But it's a way to assert themselves. It would be a way for Russian politicians to show their public that they are very concerned about this, that they are ready to take on NATO member states if they have to. And, and and in this particular case, they could say, well, we had to and we did it and we were successful. Of course, we were successful. So it pops up. And I think it's something that we need to, to monitor. Of course, we need to be uh, aware of. Also, of course, not to sort of get carried away uh, by our own rhetoric about Svalbard. But it, but it is a special issue. It's a special it's a special piece of territory in that sense. It's, it's really interesting and it could be sort of a, a welcome opportunity perhaps for Russia to assert itself if it really wanted to um, without uh, really high costs. Well, let, let me just jump in on what you just said. And Mikkel, I know you, you've got something to say on Svalbard as well, mm-hmm. but but uh, Fleming, what you just said reminded me of the wargaming that we do, the so-called Narva Grab, if you've heard of that mm-hmm. title. And again, for our, our listeners, the idea that really what uh, one thing, that <laughs> a, a move that Russia could make is, uh, is to uh, send special forces or just a, some type of military presence into the small uh, portion of Estonia that's around the city of, or it's on the peninsula or the city of, of Narva, and, and hold it for a day or two just to show that they can do that and to embarrass the alliance as NATO then tries to hold a meeting and tries to decide what to do. This uh, an, an ally has been invaded. They're just there for a couple of days to protect, you know, whatever the provocation is to protect the Russian speakers. And then they go back to Russia. And they and 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 by doing so, it kind of it embarrasses the alliance, shows the vulnerability. I didn't think of Svalbard in that same kind of way, but you're right. It could be a similar demonstration of Russian military prowess, if you will, or their <laughs> certainly their use of the military in a in a strategic way to embarrass NATO without uh, invoking Article Five, part of the gray zone kind of thing. But Mikhail, over to you on Svalbard. Yes. I, I completely agree with the, with the, what both of you have brought up. And I just wanted to add that, of course, <clears throat> Svalbard is a very special legal case also in terms of international law. Uh, and I think also that you should sort of, uh, that, that, that a Russian perspective on Svalbard would be to sometimes use it to, to push the Norwegians a place where they're weak. Uh, we also saw this immediately or shortly after uh, the, the onset of the Ukraine crisis. They, they used Svalbard. Sent, they sent a, a fairly high-level Russian politician up there, and he made this uh, infamous uh, uh, statement that uh, uh, he could go there even though he was circumventing a travel ban uh, on his person. Because, and, and by the way, uh, tanks don't need visas. Uh, I think he said something like that, right? So, so it's also sort of just a way of of, of uh, pushing the Norwegians uh, where they are perhaps 
uh, a little weaker or, or where the special legal circumstances makes it harder for Norwegians to scramble with a response. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly right. I'm glad you you, you mentioned that. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say that as far as the Norwegians are concerned, and uh, Fleming, you, you mentioned this too, the, the Norwegians, because they've had to deal with their, their neighbor to the east for so many decades, if not centuries, they've developed a way to be hard-nosed with the Russians, whether it's up on their northern border or Svalbard. And so the Russians can push them, but I think the Norwegians have developed a way to, to deal with a bully in their yard. Uh, and, um, and so I, 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 I tip my hat to the Norwegians in terms of what they've been able to do up in the very, a very tricky part of the, part of the, part of the world. Well, let me, let me ask you to this, um, and I'm gonna talk about Greenland in a minute, uh, which I've been to twice, by the way. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm no stranger to the snows of Greenland, but, uh, but you know, so NATO is going to be, as we know, they're going to be doing the new strategic concept uh, that's going to be a- approved at the Madrid summit next year. Um, it's, it's about time uh, that we've got a new strategic concept. Uh, and certainly, unlike the, the, the current concept, the new one will have an, a paragraph or two um, on the Arctic. Uh, and uh, and the the view of NATO in terms of of the Arctic as a as a, a place for uh, NATO to be co- concerned about or not, a place for NATO to operate or not. We know in the past there's been some very interesting politics at NATO uh, about uh, what kind of role NATO should have. At one point, the Canadians really didn't want to have NATO take part uh, too much uh, in in Arctic things because there's a Canadian Arctic and. Uh, of course, the United States, we have Alaska, and we, we can talk about Alaska, too, because uh, when you're in Washington, you talk about the Arctic, people assume you're talking about Alaska. Um, but for Denmark, of course, you've got a big stake as well. Uh, we'll talk about Greenland in a moment, but um, but it's usually been the Norwegians who've led the charge at NATO on uh, the Arctic, particularly over the past few years. Uh, and uh, and Denmark has been in support of, of the Norwegians. But in Copenhagen right now, in the uh, foreign ministry, I'm sure they're all uh, huddled over various draft paragraphs on the Arctic. Where do you think Denmark is going to come down on policy? And where do you, where do you think uh, NATO should come down in terms of, of the Arctic at NATO? What, what, should, what should we be looking for coming out of Copenhagen? Should I start on this one? Yes. Yes, sure. Um, well, I think it's, it, it's, it's a great question. I think the role of NATO uh, in the Arctic is something that it's a bit up in the air in Denmark these days. Uh, I think it's something that, that uh, as you say, they're, they're doing a lot of thinking about in the ministries uh, because it all comes down to a basic dilemma, right? Uh, on the one hand, uh, you could make the argument that, and, and I'm sure Fleming can say much more on this one, uh, that, that having NATO more involved in the Arctic would be seen as more provocative by the Russians than having the Kingdom of Denmark as a country uh, do more in the Arctic, uh, simply by way of NATO's reputation and NATO's status as, a, as, as uh, the world's foremost military alliance. Um, so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, of course, you, you can make the argument that, well, uh, times are changing in the Arctic and, and the need for, for NATO to come in as, as a consequence uh, of increased Russian military activity uh, is there. And then of course, uh, uh, from a Danish perspective, there's this added uh, added elements that uh, just last year, um, 
it was it made a bit of a splash in Danish media that that uh, Denmark didn't feel that it was quite getting the recognition it was due on on making extra investments in the Arctic in NATO. Right. Uh, so Denmark just uh, recently decided to to put in 200 million dollars extra into the Arctic, uh, primarily uh, tailored towards increasing situational awareness. Uh, the money will likely go to 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 a new radar uh, on the Faroe Islands and a couple of drones that will be able to do some surveillance uh, over Greenland. Um, and uh, the Danish Minister of Defense, Trine Bramsen, was was out saying that well, this uh, she felt that it was it was unfair that this was not recognized uh, uh, by NATO. Uh, so there's that element going on too. And of course, you can say uh, if NATO ends up uh, taking a more active role uh, in the Arctic, then of course. Uh, my guess would be that that would also mean a greater appreciation of the things that Denmark is already doing in the Arctic. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, the, the, the politics there uh, about uh, whether Denmark, what Denmark is doing, is Denmark getting credit for it? That's a very real bit of uh, worry uh, within the alliance. Is is nations, allies, not getting credit for doing things that uh, you know? We always talk about the two percent defense spending, but this is. You know, this is something very much related to it, and, and needs to get credit. But Fleming, what's your view? Well, it's I think it's it's well, it's obviously a very difficult question because if NATO does get more involved, it will clearly play into this Russian political narrative that Russia that NATO is trying to contain Russia. Right. And in fact, now we talked about uh, militarization of the uh, of the Russian Arctic, and there is a there's a political narrative in Russia that this development has been dictated by, by the West in a way, by events following 2014. So 2014, of course, is the Russian invasion and annexation of Crimea, outbreak of war in eastern Ukraine, the introduction of sanctions against Russia by a number of Western states, and uh, increased tension in the Baltic Sea area. And so the Russians are claiming that because of the reunification as they say, of Crimea uh, with Russia proper, uh, the West has introduced these sanctions and, and, and put on military pressure, thereby necessi necessitating a Russian response. And this response has found its expression in the Arctic because it had to. So they had to move their military forces to the Arctic. So if you look at 2014, it really is a really important uh, yeah, because this is also when we saw the establishment of uh, the Arctic Command. And so there is a, a, a narrative in Russia that it's something, military development, that has been dictated by by larger developments, especially since 2014. And if NATO decides to get more involved in the Arctic, it would only be used to sort of uh, to support this narrative, and, and, and it would be used widely, of course, in Russian media. On the other hand, it may be prudent to uh, to insist that NATO needs to play a, a bigger role. We all understand that this is what is happening. Now, my colleague Mikkel told about uh, talked about uh, Danish defense investments, and it's quite interesting to see. We all know what it's about, of course: radar installations, uh, new. Uh, uh, drones, for instance, also to increase uh, situational awareness in the Greenlandic area and around the Faroe Islands. So it has to do with the Arctic and, and uh, North Atlantic Corridor. And we all 
know that this is about Russia, but the paper, the strategy paper itself doesn't really talk about Russia. So it's the same thing. We know what it is, but we're reluctant to say it. And I think it's the same with this discussion about NATO. We all know that NATO is getting more involved. Of course, NATO is, but we're reluctant to express it openly. So, uh, but we'll, we'll, perhaps we can return to this later also, because we need to discuss, of course, your paper would also need to discuss the possibilities for confidence building measures. And, and when I look at Russia, clearly, I see opportunities for con- confidence building measures and, and, and some kind of cooperation. Uh, and we should be careful, of course, not to uh, not to throw these away and not not to sort of undermine uh, our position on this and the possibilities that we can actually cooperate also in the Arctic. Uh, and actually, yes, yes, please sorry. go ahead. Because. Yes, if I can jump in on that, uh, after Fleming here, I I, I think uh, um, it actually goes to a, a quite interesting point that uh, you had, Jim, in, in in you and your colleagues' policy brief that recently came out uh, on on uh, whether it might be time to to uh, consider a resumption of the Arctic Chiefs of Defense meetings, the charts, um, uh, and and then make uh, Russian. Uh, participation uh, contingent on Russia being able to accept certain rules for military activities in the Arctic. And and I I found that to be a very interesting uh, suggestion, Uh, but I would like to, uh, and on that basis, I'd like to ask actually both of you, uh, from your uh, different perspectives, do you see the, the US or Russia potentially going for such a model? Well, Fleming, I'll kick that over to you. Uh, what do you think? I, I'm, I, I think you've probably read what we were suggesting. What do you think about what Mikhail said? Do you think the Russians will go for that or will they will sit there and say, well, thank you, United States, very much for that idea, but uh, but uh, we're doing fine. Thank you. <laughs> what well, do you think? They would, well, they would definitely need something in return, of course, and I'm not sure this would be enough to, to satisfy them. So the SNAP exercises that we see, the deployment, of course, of even really heavy and very sophisticated uh, weapon systems uh, is, is something, of course, that they do on purpose, and they do this to signal certain, certain intentions and, and possibilities. So uh, we do know, of course, that they, they are looking for increased cooperation. They want to be part of a bigger dialogue. They want to meet at the military uh, level. Uh, they want the recognition in the same way that they want recognition almost uh, everywhere. Uh, so there could be a, a possibility to throw something in, which is that we'll give you recognition, we'll meet and we'll cooperate and so on, but you need to to uh, refrain from certain activities. And then, of course, it would be up to the Russian side to decide whether this is actually enough, whether what they're being offered is enough uh uh, to uh, to offset the the advantages of doing, for instance, snap exercises or deploying these uh, weapon systems that we see, um, and 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 I'm not sure if if this would actually satisfy them, but it would definitely go some way towards pleasing them because we do know that they are looking for this. They want the cooperation. They want the recognition. Well, that's a very interesting. Uh point about Russia, because it made me think about the reception, not just in Moscow, but the reception in the other Arctic nation capitals, including Washington, D.C. And uh, as uh, we were writing this piece and we were talking to various officials here in Washington or other researchers, um, I think in terms of the official response, well, not official, but certainly those that are in government, it was 
you know, politely received, <laughs> you know, thank you for your, your work uh, kind of thing. And, and uh, hard to tell uh, really uh, what the position might be of the administration. Um, you know, there's they're still, the administration here is still putting together its, its team uh, uh, in terms of foreign policy and defense policy. And they're doing many reviews within the government on uh, global force posture, nuclear, this type of thing. Uh, eventually, I think they'll get to an Arctic review. Um, and uh, whether this idea um, uh, of the Chods, uh, Chods Council or Rules of the Road or something along those lines, you know, we'll see what they think by then. Uh, so, so in terms of Washington, I think they're just, they're not there yet in terms of thinking about the Arctic. And that's just informally of what we kind of picked up over, over the past number of weeks. But, you know, I think the other Arctic capitals, I don't know uh, where they might be on this. Norway, you know, it's interesting as, as you all were talking about, uh, uh, about the Danish position, uh, uh, you know, with the Arctic and uh, that the Norwegians are further to the right on that, I think, you know, they're, they're much more willing to talk about uh, the, the facts or facts, you know, in terms of Russia and NATO and what needs to be done. Triton Juncture, as you know, was, a, was quite fully uh, supported by Norway, it took place off of Norway as an exercise. So, so in other Arctic capitals, I, I'm, I don't know how it would be received. It, they, they could very well, um, they could say, well, look, uh, we're very unhappy with what the Russians are doing and, and uh, we don't wanna have the Chads conference. We don't wanna reward bad behavior, if, particularly if Russia goes into Ukraine. Uh, in the next few months, uh, it could be that uh, this idea would be dead because they're saying we're not going to work with the Russia that does that. Um, but you know, I uh, I also think that and uh, you know that I, I think there's a need for a Chad's council even without the Russians. That's number one. I, I don't mind the Chad's coming back together again, just to to talk among each other. But the second thing is that you know, having what, what I call rules of the road, you know, having something where confident, you know, they're confidence building measures, certainly an understanding on transparency and uh, this type of thing and, and measures to improve transparency. You know, uh, we could certainly begin to talk about that and draw something up uh, even before we decide about a Chad's council. You know, we can, we can try to figure out what works best. Uh, because to me, that's the most important thing is that uh, we've got to avoid surprise and miscalculation, accident. That's how we could spark something off in the, in the Arctic, just because we've, we've, someone has made a move, a deployment, or, or there's been an accident in the air, uh, and when it, it starts off a chain reaction. And so uh, I hope as we look at these things, both in our publication, but as you guys at DEES, as you think about this, that we can at least start on something that's a confidence building measure. Uh, you know, and maybe we talk up to the Russians, maybe it's a track two uh, kind of discussion with the Russians to come up with uh, draft rules of the road that we would ask our governments to begin to talk about. What do you all think about that, Mikael? Yeah, well, uh, I, think, I think if the US uh, took your idea and took leadership, I think uh, that uh, the rest of uh, the Western uh, Arctic countries would go for it, basically. Uh, and I think at least uh, starting with Denmark, I mean, um, in Denmark, uh, it was deeply regretted that this state of affairs of Arctic exceptionalism, that it has uh, encountered the kind of troubles that it has encountered uh, in recent years. So any way 
back to that state of affairs or even just a partial way back uh, without uh, ending up in a situation where it would be uh, also framed as, as, as giving giving into the Russians. If you could if you could hit that balance, I definitely think the Danes would be would be happy about it. That would be my 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 take on it. Um, if if uh, this idea for whatever reason uh, should not be be, be, be doable. I, I just wanted to ask uh, the both of you as well if if there are if you think that there are other options in terms of making a completely new forum in the Arctic for discussing security matters. And of course, I know that that uh, uh, new forums in international politics has this tendency of of uh, becoming ever greater every year. But but here, uh, the advantage of a new forum, you could argue, would be uh, that. You didn't have to deal to the same extent with the kind of baggage uh, that the other forums have uh, due to it being used as a retaliatory measure against Russia uh, over Ukraine. So what do you think about that? What do you think about uh, potentially uh, making a, a brand new forum for discussing security politics in the Arctic? Well, I, I'll jump in that real quick only because we thought about that as we were writing our document. In fact, I had come up with a, another forum idea. <laughs> And I will tell you that everyone said, Jim, no, 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 we'll use existing, you know, we don't, what we don't need is more bureaucracy. What we don't need is another forum. There's plenty of ideas out there. You know, it's not the Arctic Council. We all know that, but there is the Chods group. There's also, there's a Coast Guard group, you know, as well. There, there's, so I, uh, but I thought about that uh, and we just have a break with the past, but it keeps coming back to this problem of, yeah, but you know, for this to work, the Russians have to be part of it. And we don't think the Russians deserve to be part of something until they clean up their act uh, and with Ukraine and this business as usual with Russia. And that's, so it, it keeps running into that baggage even if you try to start over again. Uh, and so uh, and so it was a really Andrea Kendall Taylor. Andrea, you're, you're on the road to, to your Thanksgiving right now, but I will give you a salute here on Brussels sprouts. She was the one that said, you know, we really, ought to have just have the Chods Council come back and then make, and if the, and again, something that Fleming raised, if the Russians really feel that they can get something out of being part of the Chods Council, then, um, and they would want to join, therefore, um, then maybe they would agree to these, you know, confidence building measures. And uh, so, so she, she put that into the, to our study, but Fleming, what, what do you think? Do we, should we revisit starting over again or, 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 or what? Well, I, I don't think it would solve the problems that we are facing. And I may be a bit too conservative and pessimistic, but I, I really don't see this. And I think part of the reason would be that we do have different for, of course. It would be difficult to redefine those in a dramatically new way. As I said in the introduction, definitely from a Russian perspective, the Arctic region is mainly for the Arctic states. So they would probably insist also that it has to be a relatively small group of states. Others are welcome, but not when it comes to key decision-making. So we're looking at the same number of states, only they meet in a separate room. And I'm not sure if, if this really solves, uh, solves the issue. Um, one thing that I would like to add, though, is it, when we speak about confidence-building measures, now we've spoken a lot about security policy, of course, military issues and so on, but there is different aspect to it, which is the development part. And often when I when I speak about Russia in the Arctic, I say that, well, the Russian policy stands on two legs. One is the military leg that we discussed quite extensively already. 
The other is the development bank. And we need to remind ourselves, of course, that the Arctic region, the Russian part of the Arctic region, is a poor region. It's, uh, it has greater unemployment figures. It has greater poverty figures than the rest of Russia, or at least the rest of uh, above average. So they're looking, in a way, for cooperation. We see this also in, in, in the Arctic strategy that they uh, put out in, uh, only last year. So we'll find opportunities for cooperation on some very different issues. The problem then, of course, still comes back to 2014 and Ukraine and all of that, is that can we cooperate with Russia on these particular issues? Let's say trade, tourism, uh, development of infrastructure and so on, while they're still occupying Crimea, while they're still supporting the war in eastern Ukraine, while they're still doing these different things. So it always hits this roadblock, even if we have really good intentions and, and, and we want to make progress, we want to have a, a much stronger and, and, and much better dialogue. Um, but 2014 always comes back and uh, it's really difficult to develop these policies without a view to 2014 and without a view to the fact that we do have sanctions because of Ukraine, because of other issues also, but now suddenly we are proposing to increase cooperation in the Arctic to sort of save the Arctic from, from all the other problems that we have. And, and it's really difficult political uh, uh, challenge and, and, and quite a conundrum also to, to solve in a way because it's, it, 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 it is difficult to, to, to strike the right balance here. You know, we we wrestled exactly with that 2014 baggage that we keep bumping into no matter how we try to maneuver ourselves. And so in writing this, um, uh, we we wrote a little paragraph that talked about making it and that, that this should be an exception, that because of the unique situation, it's almost like space, you know, and because it is so unique and in terms of the Arctic and space too. Uh, but the Arctic is so unique um, and so prone to mistake uh, up there. If you begin to have a, a beginning to have a spiral of a you know military uh, uh, you know arms race, if you will, or militarization, that it, that stopping it now, uh, you, we can't wait for Ukraine to sort itself out. We need to deal with it now so as to try to keep stability there. Uh, climate change is continuing to make this a challenge for everyone up there, and we have to be together on that. And your, your, your point about development is also important, too. I mean, there's leverage there with the Russians uh, when it comes to development aid and this type of thing. So our point was that, look, politically, how this is hard. We all said no business as usual. NATO has said that. But um, in this case, uh, because of the uniqueness, let's make an exception um, and see if we can begin to do something with Russia. So I don't know if uh, the Arctic nations will buy that or not. Um, you know, a lot depends on what happens in the next couple of months around Ukraine. Uh, if the Russians go back in, then this is going to be just uh, a dead, uh, any kind of thing up there. But if we're able to depressurize and de-escalate uh, the problems along the border with Ukraine uh, in the coming months, maybe this will have a uh, maybe it'll have a chance. I'm hoping the Biden administration will be open to this. I, I just I don't know. I, I'm assuming they would. I think their their hearts in the right place, but uh, politically, um, I, I don't know what the next uh, few months hold within the administration on something like this. But um, but we'll see. But you know, the, the the NATO strategic concept will bring these issues to a head because all of us are going to be around the table at NATO, and we're going to have to have these things in mind as we 
put together our policy, maybe we can get a sentence in the strategic concept that calls for rules of the road. I think the Dane should introduce that. I, I put that on your plate. Your perm rep needs to uh, put that in there and, uh, and the US will support. That's a great can idea. I just add to this? I, I, I think it's, it's a really good point. And of course, if, if we look at the Arctic and, and, and we have an, sort of a feeling that all Arctic states would like to step away from conflict, then of course it, it would be really sad if we if we miss this opportunity. Right. Um, so perhaps there is a recognition that this is, if not sort of a global commons, then at, re, at least a regional commons that we have to take care of together. And and we do this best by by having cooperation and a strong dialogue and, and sort of stepping away from military conflict and, and hostile actions. And if, if this is what everyone is looking for, obviously, of course, it would be sad, as I said, to, to miss this opportunity. Absolutely right, absolutely right. Mikael, you were gonna say something too. Yes, no, I very much agree with Fleming on this. Uh, I also wanted to throw in there that there's, uh, of course, an interesting dynamics uh, going on with, uh, Russia-China cooperation in the Arctic. Um, there are some recent uh, U.S. scholarship going going on on this, uh, uh, flagging that uh, there might be somewhat of a missed opportunity uh, going on here with regards to to driving Russia and China closer together uh, by simply s seeing them in the same terms uh, in the Arctic. So I, I actually wanted to to take that as a as a basis of a, of a question for both of you. Do you see uh, that there are opportunities for the West, for the for the U.S., for its European allies to 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 try to to uh, split uh, Russia and China in the Arctic? Well, Fleming, over to you. Uh, yeah, well, views on that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I, I definitely do. I do see opportunities. I would probably want to rephrase it, though. So rather than to look at it as an opportunity to cause a divide between Russia and China, I would rather see it as an opportunity to get Russia more involved, to get Russia sort of closer to what it is that we do. And when I read the Russian literature on the Arctic and I read on, on Russian sort of policies on China and the Arctic, there is a sense that, that uh, the Russian authorities are concerned about Chinese activities in the Arctic. Um, China, of course, famously has, has defined itself as a near Arctic state. This does not resonate well in Russia, uh, where, again, uh, politicians and, and, and scholars insist that the Arctic region really is for the Arctic states, and, and there is no such thing as, as a near Arctic state. So, uh, on, on this, they very much uh, they very much agree with the U.S. position, uh, at least as articulated earlier. Um, so, so that's one point. Another point is that uh, China clearly has ambitions. We see this, for instance, from uh, from. Uh, uh, the way that they produce now uh, icebreakers, of course, uh, a new generation of icebreakers. They're looking at uh, nuclear-powered icebreakers. And uh, we talked very briefly earlier uh, about the Northern Sea Route. And Russian authorities, of course, now insist that foreign vessels should uh, abide by certain rules, which means first that they have to take on a pilot, they have to give prior notice when they arrive, before they arrive uh, in the regions. And I would be very curious to see how the Chinese think about this at some point when they start to exploit the Northern Sea Route. 
um, they may also insist on freedom of navigation. Uh, they will have their own uh, icebreakers uh, that may escort uh, uh, merchant vessels uh, going between Asia and Europe, for instance. And, and I would be very curious to see if the, if the Chinese would accept uh, the rules that the Russians had laid down for the Northern Sea Route. So I definitely sense a concern in, in Russia that China does have ambitions for the Arctic that do not really sort of reflect uh, Russia's own interests. And that could be perhaps an opportunity for us to work more closely with Russia on this in a way to help Russia get out of this situation uh, by inviting, perhaps by insisting that it is within a, a, a closer format that we meet rather than in this extended group. I I, th- I agree completely, Fleming, with that. And, you know, CNAS and Andrea Kendall Taylor and I and, and our team uh, put out some some uh, some writing over the past few months about Russia, China, and the Arctic, and we came up with a very similar finding: is that um, one should not assume that Russia and China are always in the same policy bed together. Uh, and I think the Arctic is a great example of that, where uh, in a lot of ways Russia depends on China for technology to exploit minerals up there. Of financing and investment to do that. Um, China depends very much on being able to access the Northern Sea Route uh, and have a very stable relationship with the, with the Northern Sea Route because they save so much money in terms of transit between China and Europe, their biggest market. And, and so, uh, and, the, and, the, and I think the Russians do not want to find themselves dependent on China. Uh, in terms of the Northern Sea Route and investments and the exploitation of resources and that type of thing, they don't want to be dependent on China. And China doesn't want to depend either on um, Russia keeping things stable up there. The last thing the Chinese want is a militarization of the Arctic up there because that, that, uh, that uh, threatens their commercial fleet as it goes to the Northern Sea Route that, you know, that it could be, uh, they could find themselves in the middle of hostilities which caused by Russia with the West. And that's not good for business in China. So there's, so you're right. There's a lot of ways in which the, uh, that Russia-China relationship is, can become at odds with one another when it comes to the Arctic, with commercial interests on the one hand and investment interests on one hand, and then control on the other. Who's going to control it up there? And we should also say, too, that not all, most nations don't recognize the uh, Russian uh, claims to the Northern Sea Route. Uh, it's felt that it's it's open waters up there. This is not not belonging to Russia. And I think China is agrees with that. Uh, the Chinese, uh, my understanding is the Chinese view on waterways is almost like the United States, where they want to see open waterways in the Arctic, not just over Russia, but in Canada and other places too. And so, so it's a lot of uh, strange mm-hmm. bedfellows up there. And I think you're right. I think there's a there's opportunity there to uh, to exploit some of that. Does that make you happy, Miguel? Does that answer your question? Definitely, definitely. And I think it's something that we will uh, that will likely be on the radar for the foreseeable future. I think so too. I think so too. Well, um, I think we're about coming to the close of our uh, discussion. This has just been fabulous, uh, and I. Um, I, I, we, we need to do this again in a few months. Maybe, maybe as when NATO puts out its strategic concept on the Arctic, we can grade, grade their work and tell them how well they did on talking about the Arctic. But I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you all. 
you know, um, Mikael, uh, why don't we have Fleming um, give a summation on, as our guest, a summation of uh, any final words, and then to you, Mikael, after that, and then I'll close us, close us down. So Fleming, over Sounds to you. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, great conversation on a great topic, of course. Uh, now, as I specialize in, in Russian affairs, the Arctic, of course, is becoming more important, and it's important also for us to to sort of understand both the challenges and, and the way that these different challenges relate to each other. Now, you mentioned several times, of course, Ukraine and possibility of the risk of renewed fighting over Ukraine. But we also need to understand uh, the opportunities for cooperation. And, and, and we talked about the Arctic as, as a shared space, as a regional commons, perhaps. And, and some of the challenges that we find in the Arctic are shared by all of these states. So perhaps there is to, to finish this off on a, on a more sort of positive note, uh, opportunities for, for cooperation. And, and I hope that we may be able to exploit those, of course. Absolutely. Mikael, my co-host. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Jim, for, for co-hosting this. Uh, it was a, and for inviting me to, to be your co-host. It, it's been a lot of fun. I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, and uh, uh, we are, of course, uh, very happy to, to, to return uh, uh, at a later point to, 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 to discuss it uh, once uh, NATO has decided what to do about the Arctic. Um, and uh, let me just also uh, close by, by, by saying that uh, the Arctic, from a Danish perspective, the Arctic is, is only going to continue to gain in importance. Uh, so for that reason also, it's, it's, it's going to be something that we here at DEES also will be monitoring very closely in the, in, in the coming months and years. But thank you so much. Well, Mikael, thank you and Fleming both so much for this as well. Uh, I've, 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 you've given me new things to think about, particularly about Svalbard. And uh, and I really appreciate that. And I see uh, a great partnership uh, in the in the months ahead with Dees on this. And thanks to Christian Fisher, your director, who put us together. And uh, and I think uh, next time we can have the folks from Oslo uh, part of this as well. And we can have a, uh, you know, a bit of a, a Arctic roundtable, maybe uh, podcast where we get to hear uh, from some other players as well. So thank you so much. Uh, my best to everyone there at Decent in Copenhagen and uh, and farewell from Washington. <laughs>